We're starting the book of Daniel today, but I wanted to give you a little of the background of Daniel. And I was thinking about him all night long as a young teenager taken away captive. His friends were there too, but away from his family, and maybe they were taken too, but it must have been just an awful, awful time for Israel. But it was a, a very dark time for the leadership of Israel. And this is the thing that amazes me that in every generation, there are always those that love the Lord. But anyway, I just have felt badly about Daniel. But I want you to see a little about, as they said, the zeitgeist or the German way, the, the, way, the scenes of the times. This is how it was. Uh, let's turn, first of all, to Second Kings to just get the flavor of what happened to Daniel. In chapter 24 of Second Kings, now this is repeated uh, in the book of Second Chronicles. Uh, Chronicles only talks about Judah. Did you know that? First and Second Chronicles tell the history of Judah, whereas First and Second Kings tell the history of Judah and Israel after the kingdom is split in two. That's why you don't find about the kings of Israel in Second Chronicles. But in Second Kings chapter 24, and we're going to go back a little bit, it says, in his days, whose days? Well, we're going to see whose days. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, I want you to look at your map and see where Babylon is. This is all the empire of Babylon around here. See where the city of Babylon is. It's on the Euphrates River, and just south of it, right near the Gulf of Suez, is Ur, and then up a little further is Tart, well, no, Babylon is there. In the, this is in the southeastern part of the Babylonian Empire. We'll talk about this later, but I want you to get an idea of just where these things happened. And I was excited to see that where Paul Tarsus and where Cyprus is. This is the Mediterranean. This is the island of Cyprus here. And up above it, it used to be called Lydia, but now it's Turkey. So Paul was born in Tarsus, which is in Turkey today. And Carchemish is on a crook of the river. It is no longer existence, but it was one of the famous battles of history, of all history, the Battle of Carchemish. I remember when I took art history at the University of Iowa, I learned about all these names, but I didn't really connect it with the Bible as much as now I can. So in his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him, Jehoiakim did. He rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. And this is all very interesting to read in Kings. And the Lord sent against him, against Israel, raiding bands of Chaldeans because God didn't want him to rebel against the Babylonians. God said, I'm punishing you, Israel. I'm taking you captive into Babylon. And don't resist it. If you go there, you will live. If you stay here in the land, you'll be killed. You won't prosper at all. So he rebelled. God said, go up to Babylon, but Jehoiakim wouldn't. And he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. So the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, which would be Babylonians, and bands of the Syrians. That would be up here by Syria, up here where Damascus is. Raiding bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, that would be to the east of Jerusalem, and bands of the people of Ammon, also east of the Jordan River. He sent them against Judah 
to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. Surely at the command of the Lord, this came from Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed, for he'd filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all he did, aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So that would be in Second Chronicles. So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers, then Jehoiakim, his son, reigned in his place, and he became Jeconiah, And he was so wicked that in the book of Jeremiah that God says no man of his seed would ever sit on the throne again. See, and that's why Joseph, who was the the husband of Mary, uh, if Jesus had been the natural son of Joseph, they would have immediately seen that prophecy that no one of Jeconiah's seed could ever sit on the throne of Judah. But he wasn't. He was a son of God and Mary was his mother. And the king of Egypt did not come out of his land anymore, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt. And that sums up what the battle of Carchemish was. The Egyptians were meeting up here at Carchemish, and the Babylonians met there, and there was a terrific battle. And the Babylonians won, and the Egyptians never came back again from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. Now we're going to go back after we say a prayer about today and see a little bit about uh, the background of Jehoiakim and his family. Lord, we ask that you'd bless us as we look at this little historical vignette of, of the times of Daniel. We know that he was a contemporary of Ezekiel because Ezekiel talks about him. And so this does away with all of the liberal scholars who say Daniel was maybe somebody that wrote later on just a hundred years before Jesus came and all of this we aren't going to go into because we'll just take the scriptures as you said it is and we'll just believe it and bless it to our heart. Bless the study of Daniel and how he's called a prophet. Not only was he a wonderful young man, but was really running the whole land of Babylon and Medo-Persia. In both those empires, he was a leader and yet he was a prophet. You showed him things to come that haven't even happened yet, some of them. Some of them have and some of them haven't. But bless us as we look at this wonderful person of Daniel and his background. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's go back a little bit here to see what happened to Daniel when he got there. Let's go back to Second Kings 20, or a little before that. Hezekiah was a very good king, you know, sort of. (laughs) None of the kings of the northern kingdom, they were all wicked and all worshipped idols. But the southern kingdom had some good and some fairly good and some really evil too. And yet God deals with all kinds of evil people and his grace shines through with his promise to Abraham that he will not forsake this people, even though they're turning away from him. So anyway, it was when King Hezekiah, he tore his clothes uh, and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. They were coming after him, the rulers of Assyria. They've come down and they said, we're going to take you like we've taken all the other countries. Do you think your God can save you? Well, we're going to see. And Hezekiah, he just knew. And they and they said this publicly. And he said, Please don't speak in the Hebrew language because it'll cause trouble. Just speak to us in your language. I understand that. But anyway, 
He went into the house of the Lord when he was threatened with annihilation from the Assyrians. So he went and he prayed to the Lord. And this is when Isaiah, the prophet, came. And so he said, the servants of the king came to Isaiah, verse 5. And Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Don't be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So the Rabshakeh, or the head of the army, returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna which is 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning Terhaka, the king of Ethiopia. See, there's a way to get to Egypt and all of Africa. As you see down here in this little map, uh, you think that Egypt is down here and it's part of Africa. But anyone that wanted to catch Egypt or anything in Africa, guess where they came from. If they came from Babylon up over here, the Fertile Crescent, and down down the, by the River Jordan. And then there's a big landmass right at Pelusium, near Jerusalem and near Memphis. But they that's the landmass that armies would go through to get Egypt. And Egypt, if they were going to try to capture Israel, they would come up this landmass. This was the trade route, too, from the Far East. This is how they got to Africa and Egypt. So... The king heard concerning Terhaka, king of Ethiopia. Look, he's come out to make war with you. So again, he sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah. Don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, oh, this is what they said. Don't let your God deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the people of Eden who were in Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arphed, the king of the city of Sepharvarm, Hena and Iva? And Hezekiah received the letters from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, your God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you've made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Sennacherib. He was the king of Assyria, which he sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they've destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, That which you've prayed to me against Sennacherib king of Assyria, I have heard. So does the Lord hear prayers? He certainly does. He heard one about John this week. And John is free of any they thought might be problems in his lungs. God hears prayer, doesn't he? This is the word which he's spoken. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. Imagine him saying this back to the mighty Sennacherib. We're laughing you to scorn, the virgin of Israel. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. 
By your messengers you've reproached the Lord and said, By the multitude of my chariots I've come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter the extremity of its borders to its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk strange water, and with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times that I formed it? Now I brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities and heaps of ruins. Therefore their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herb as the grass of the housetops and grain blighted before it's grown. But I know your dwelling place, your going out and your coming in and your rage against me. Because your rage against me and your tumult God says, have come up through Isaiah, have come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips. This tells you how the Assyrians, when they took people captive, they would put hooks in their noses and hook them together and in trains would take them to wherever they wanted to relocate them. I will put my bridle in your lips and will turn you back by the way which you came. And they say that really Assyria was the most cruel of all the ancient empires. This shall be a sign to you. You shall eat what grows of itself this year, and in the second year what springs from the same. In the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat the fruit, and the remnant who have escaped to the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. Therefore says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, he shall not come into this city, Jerusalem, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it, even though he's been making these brash remarks, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, he will return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people rose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed, went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. See where Nineveh was his capital. And it came to pass as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his god, that his sons, Adramelech and Sherezer, struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat, which would be where the ark is up in Turkey today, in the land of Ararat. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. Now in those days, during all of this, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord God, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Get out your last will and testament. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I've walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return, tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days fifteen years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs. So they took it and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? Then Isaiah said, This is the sign. 
to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he's spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go back 10 degrees on the sundial? And Hezekiah answered, it's an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. No, but let the shadow go backward. Let time go backward 10 degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. At that time, Barodak Baladan. See, Assyria was very, very strong, but they're going to be defeated by Nebuchadnezzar, by the Babylonians. So here, Babylon is coming to the fore in this 12th verse. At that time, Barodak Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he'd heard that Hezekiah was sick. And Hezekiah was attentive to them, showed them all the house of his treasures, and the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and where did they come to you from? And Hezekiah said, They came from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah said, They've seen all that's in my house. There's nothing among my treasures that I haven't shown them. See, in Proverbs 1.3, there's such a thing as having prudence. He didn't have any prudence or good sense. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Now this is what concerns Daniel. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Daniel and his three friends, along with being taken captive in their youth, were made eunuchs so that they could serve in any part of the palace among all the women, the, the, the concubines. So that's what happened. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word that the Lord which is spoken is good, for he said, there will be peace in my time at least. In other words, what a selfish thing. At least it won't happen during my life. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his might, how he made a pool and a tunnel and brought water into the city. How many of you have gone through the tunnel. I don't think I could with my claustrophobia, but it's still there today. And he made a pool in the tunnel in the years that were left. But what happened was he also had another son that was the next king. Notice he made this tunnel and it's written about in the chronicles of the kings of Judah. So Hezekiah rested with his fathers. Then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. Manasseh was 12 and he's the worst. And God says he's the worst king. Imagine coming from Hezekiah, such a wicked son. He, re- he, became, he, was, he reigned 55 years to do a lot of damage. And his mother's name was Hephzibah. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations. Now I want you to see this is kind of the climate that was before Daniel in the land of Israel. And yet there must have been those that were trained by their mothers to keep the law and to do good and be like Daniel. He purposed in his heart not to defile himself. He was going to keep the law. But so Manasseh did evil according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel, all the Canaanites. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal, made a wooden image, 
as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord God. He also made his son pass through the fire, practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke the Lord to anger. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made. See, Ashereth is the female, and Asherah is the male, and this is the image of the male. He set this carved image of the male that he'd made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I've chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. Now look what Manasseh is doing, defiling the house of God. And I will not make the feet of Israel, God said, wander any more from the land which I gave to their fathers, only if they're careful to do according to all that I've commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they paid no attention, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations, all the Canaanite nations, whom the Lord had destroyed. Dr. Unger says, those who sin against the greatest light fall into the deepest darkness. That's true, isn't it? And so I wanted us to see in Ezekiel chapter 8, the same thing, because when Ezekiel was taken captive to Babylon also, he wasn't made a eunuch, though. But notice what he says in chapter 8 of the book of Ezekiel. It came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day. See how very precise God is. But when you come to Luke and it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel came to Mary, you know that God's very precise like this. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. So he's over in Babylon now, taken captive, but God gives him a vision of what's happening back there in Jerusalem before Nebuchadnezzar comes and destroys it. He said, I looked and there was a likeness like the appearance of fire from the appearance of his waist and downward fire and from his waist and upward like the appearance of brightness, like the color of amber. He stretched out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my hair and the spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the north gate of the inner court of Solomon's temple, this gorgeous temple where the seat of the image of jealousy was, this Asherah, this male image which provokes to jealousy and behold the glory of the God of Israel was there like the vision that I saw in the plain back in the first part of Ezekiel then he said to me son of man lift up your eyes toward the north and there north of the altar gate was this image of jealousy in the entrance furthermore he said to me son of man do you see what they're doing the great abominations that the house of israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary now turn again you will see greater abominations so he brought me to the door of the court and when i looked there was a hole in the wall and he said dig into the wall and when i dug into the wall there was a door And he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations which they're doing there back in Jerusalem. So I went in and saw. And Daniel was still over there when they were doing these things. He hadn't been taken captive yet. And every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls of Solomon's temple. And there stood before them 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel. And in their midst stood Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, 
These were the priests. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his idols? For they say, The Lord doesn't see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, Turn again, and you'll see greater abominations that they're doing. So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. And to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. Then he said to me, Son of man, turn again, and you will see greater abominations than these. So this Tammuz is Nimrod and Semiramis and Tammuz back there in Genesis. And he became a god for them, for the heathen. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. There at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and altar, were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, and they were worshiping the sun toward the east. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they commit here? For they fill the land with violence. Then they return to provoke me to anger. Indeed, they put the branch to their nose, you know, like putting like this. And therefore I will also act in fury. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears, so the innocent, like Daniel, suffered with these guilty. With a loud voice, I will not hear them. And then he goes on and, well, it's just awful. So you need to read all of this. And then he goes on to say, I just while I'm here, though, in Ezekiel 14, he mentions here, a son of man, I'm going to punish this land, verse 13 of chapter 14. But God says, they're all estranged from me. Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread and send famine on it and cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job. So Daniel was a real person, wasn't he? They're saying, oh, he wasn't. Though these three men, and Ezekiel's writing about them, it couldn't have been a Daniel later on. This is the Daniel that God's talking about in the book of Daniel. These three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. If I cause wild beasts to pass through the land, they empty it and make it desolate so that no man may pass through it because of the beasts, even though these three men were in it. As I live, says the Lord, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, only they, the three men, would be delivered and the land would be desolate. Or if I bring a sword on that land and say, sword, go through the land, and I cut off man and beast from it, even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but only these three men would be delivered. Or if I send a pestilence into the land. So we see actually all of these same things in the book of Revelation during the tribulation on the land. These are the same things. Know that the God is going to send the sword and the plague and wild beasts. And he said, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. And then he said, I'm going to send four severe judgments on Jerusalem. That's the first time. The sword, famine, and wild beasts. Revelation chapter 6. Verse 8 says the same thing is going to happen again. To cut off man and beast from it. Yet behold, there shall be left in it a remnant who will be brought out, both sons and daughters. Surely they will come out to you and you will see their ways and doings and so forth. So much of this, Daniel has talked about a lot. He's, he's talked about in the book of Matthew, Daniel the prophet. 
we'll come to that again. So about Manasseh, he did everything wicked. Did we read about him, all the things that he did? Verse 12 about Manasseh, Hezekiah's son. I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And actually they... Oh, the, it was a terrible time when Nebuchadnezzar starved them out and they were eating their own children. And oh, it's just a terrible thing that they were doing because they were starving. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies and they shall become victims of plunder. Moreover, because of Manasseh, he shed innocent blood. So Manasseh rested, and his son Ammon came on the scene and ruled, and he reigned only two years, and he was very, very wicked. But he had a very good son named Josiah. So his father was Ammon. Josiah's grandfather was Manasseh. His great-grandfather was Hezekiah. So there was a kind of reform during Josiah's rule. Then we'll skip over that. Because then we're going to see after after Josiah, they found the book of the law. And he read in their hearing, verse 2 of chapter 23, all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. The king, Josiah, stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord. He stood up before them on a, like a platform. He made a covenant to follow the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and all of his soul. Now, Daniel probably heard this, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And all the people took their stand for the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for the host of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he removed the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem and those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations and to all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron, burned it at the brook Kidron and to the ground to ashes and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual booths or the sodomite booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the woman wooden image. Oh, well, such perversion. And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense. So that's what Josiah did. But he didn't remove the priests of the high places. Then he removed the horses, verse 11, that were dedicated to the sun. I've wondered about that. He removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the officer who was in the court. And he burned the chariots of sun with fire. They were horses sacrificed to the sun after they had drawn the chariots of the sun in a solemn procession. So then there was a great sacrifice of all these horses. Yeah, really just an awful time. Daniel must have seen all of this. And they had altars on the roof of the upper chamber 
which the kings of Judah had made and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. The king broke down and pulverized there and threw their dust into the brook Kidron. And the king defiled the high places and all of these things. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made. The wickedness, wickedness, wickedness was in the land. Uh, in the 18th year, verse 23, well, he had a Passover. They hadn't had Passover, but in his 18th year, this Passover was held before the Lord. So he put away those that consulted mediums, verse 24, and idols and spiritists and household gods, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. They hadn't been going by the Lord's law at all. Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath, which his anger was aroused against Judah because of the provocations which King Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight the whole land of Judah, like I've removed Israel. The northern kingdom was taken captive by the Assyrians and put in Assyrian cities that they'd conquered, and they brought the people from the Syrian cities that they conquered down into Jerusalem to repopulate, and these were the Samaritans that came down in Assyria. So he said, I'm going to also do this to Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, not by Sennacherib. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah, all he did, aren't they written in the chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, though, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, now see, down here at king of Egypt, Pharaoh Necho went up to the aid of the king of Assyria. See, the king of Assyria was going to fight against this rising empire of Babylon. And where would he have to go? He'd have to go right through Israel to get up to Carchemish. This is the battle of Carchemish. In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. As they say that, oh, I think it was one of the commentaries, that the hook of the Euphrates is where this great city was, where the battle was. And so that's where they met. Then King Josiah went against him and also, he never should have done that. And Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. But then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, buried him in his own tomb. See, he needlessly died. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him, made him king in his father's place. But he was an evil, evil person. Now, notice what it says. Um, well, he, Pharaoh Necho, the Egyptian king, put Jehoahaz in prison and levied a tax on the land, a tribute. So then Pharaoh Necho, made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in the place of his father Josiah, changed his name to Jehoahaz, and went to Egypt, and he died there. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, all the wealth he gave to Egypt then. And Pharaoh exacted the silver and gold. Jehoiakim was 25, verse 36, when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And so he did evil in the sight of the Lord. In his days, chapter 24, now you might circle that because this is how Daniel, when Daniel was taken away. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years, then rebelled against him. And the Lord sent all these people against him that I read about before. And the huge battle 
at Carchemish defeated the Egyptians and they never rose up again. So that's what happened with Daniel. All right, now turn to Daniel. I just wanted you to see this, what Daniel had to put up with, and yet he was faithful at home. Is he going to be faithful in Babylon, even though they've made him a eunuch? Now, Dr. Kitchen, in one of his book, I have a note about this. The word eunuch, in the time of Joseph, it didn't mean the same. In a thousand years, it used to mean officer, and that's what Potiphar was. It's the same word, saris, S-A-R-I-S. And he was an officer. He wasn't a eunuch. He was married. But in the thousand years, the word changed to mean eunuch. And that's in Kenneth Kitchen's book. So here is, we start out with Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, we just talked about him. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. Now this is his first entry, not his third uh, not the final one where the end of Second Kings and the end of Second Chronicles where he wipes the city out. But he notice what he does. He came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, which would be Babylon, to the house of his God. That's what they did. These heathen temples, they, someplace I read that they were the banks of the land, they were the best dining places to eat, and a lot of things, and they kept all of their treasure there. So then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel, and some of the king's descendants, and some of the nobles. So Daniel was of royal blood, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Um, I wrote here, if he were 16 when he was captured, he'd have been 85 years in Babylon and on into Cyrus's reign, the king of Persia. So he was two empires Daniel ruled over. Young men, they were wise, they were good-looking, smart, quick to understand. It was again three years. The king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them. So at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, among those. So there, there were others but these are the important ones. Uh, Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs, it doesn't say they were made eunuchs, but they were, gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, the name of his God. Daniel means God is judged. Belteshazzar means may Bel protect his life. Hananiah was changed. His name meant God is gracious. And Shadrach probably means command of Aku, the moon god. So that moon god was still way back before Mohammed came on the scene. They worshiped the moon way back in the Old Testament time. But anyway, so he gave them heathen names, changed their names. So they became Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart 
that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs, now this is the heathen eunuch, but he requested of the eunuch that he might not defile himself. Can you imagine what the eunuch is thinking? You know, what does he mean, defile himself? What is this religion that came out of, of Israel? What is this? And now God had brought, now no, God had brought, God steps into the picture. God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. There must have been many, many eunuchs there to guard the women's quarters and all kinds of things that they did. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who's appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. said, if I do what you ask, and I don't know really un- what, understand why you're asking it, but I'll get, my head will come off. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be examined before you and the countenances of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenance appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables, or pulse, vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had insight or understanding into all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in at three years, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, None was found like Daniel. There may have been hundreds. Uh, None was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than who? Than the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus of Persia. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, so he's just been king for two years, Jeremiah tells about this. Now the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, in this year, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream. And my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. But the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. So much, that's what he thinks of all his magicians and astrologers and sorcerers and Chaldeans. I'll cut you in pieces and make you an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream 
and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you don't make known to me the dream, there is only one decree for you, for you've agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It's a difficult thing that the king requires, and there's no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave a command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then, with counsel and wisdom, Daniel said to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men, he said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? I love the King James Version, it says, why is it so hasty? Then Arioch made his decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said this wonderful prayer, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what's in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said to him, Don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Imagine Arioch with this young man, his eyes open wide. How could you know anything? (coughs) Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came into your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this, and he who reveals secrets has made known to you what it will be. But as for me, this secret hasn't been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. 
but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, this great image whose splendor was excellent. Now there's going to be another great image in the tribulation period put in the Holy of Holies that's been rebuilt. The Antichrist is going to make everybody to bow down. We'll go back and we'll we'll hit some of these other passages that refer to this image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron and feet partly iron and partly clay. You watch, Nebuchadnezzar, while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we'll tell the interpretation of it before the king. Next week we'll take the interpretation. We'll go over this again. What does this mean that the stone, well, all through the Bible, Jesus is called the rock of my salvation, the stone. And so this begins the times of the Gentiles. Four Gentile world empires will rule over Israel. Then the stone kingdom will come. Just as surely as these other things have happened, surely Jesus is coming back as the stone kingdom to rule from Jerusalem. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. And it may start very soon. I hope in our lifetime. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But anyway, it, it, there's a good possibility that that can happen. Lord, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.